This is the MLW Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome to Overbooked with Mike Freeland. Welcome to another episode of the Book Club, Overbooked, however you would like to refer to it. My name is Mike Freeland. We are obviously reading the Sabu book. Uh, We read the foreword, we read chapter zero, now we are getting into chapter one, which is entitled Kid Stuff. So let's go ahead and let's jump right into it. One of my first memories as a kid was eating breakfast and looking over to see Big Time Wrestling Show, Worldwide Sports on the TV set. I didn't know it at the time, but the name of the program was like a play on the UK, more widely known sports program titled Wide World of Sports. Probably around 1966 or 1967, I remember seeing my family kind of huddled around the TV, looking very concerned, and this concerned me. Before I knew he was my uncle, I looked at the television, and there he was. Edward George Farhat was my mother's brother. He was better known to the world by his stage name, The Sheik. To wrestling fans later on, he was sometimes called the original Sheik to distinguish him from that other wacko, the Iron Sheik, a wrestler who didn't even debut until 1972. To call him original, however, is an understatement, and I don't like that word. He was the Sheik. At the time, I remember watching The Sheik on TV in awe. This guy was doing some shit that I could never dream of. At 5'11 and 245 pounds, he wasn't exactly the biggest man to step foot in the ring, but his actions were always huge. At a very young age, there was a period of time where I had no idea that the guy on TV was also the guy I would see on the weekends. I thought they were two different people. The Sheik's character was a larger-than-life, rich, wild man from Syria. The first time I laid eyes on him, I saw him using this obvious stalling tactic as he would seemingly every match, kneeling on a prayer rug to pray to Allah before the bell. Once it rang, he really was the dirtiest fighter going. He would punch, stomp, bite, pull hair, and lock on deadly chokeholds and refuse to break them. He was the kind of guy that would make your grandmother jump off the couch and scream at the TV. The funny thing is, as a child, I didn't look at all that stuff he was doing as cheating like the others did. I had three brothers and three sisters, and I was the youngest of all of them. Since the Sheik was the smallest, and usually smaller than his opponents, I could totally relate to what he was doing in the squared circle. I just thought he was trying to survive. Brawling wasn't all that he was known for. He also was known for using weapons. One thing he did was hide pencils in his tights, and then he would sneak them out to cut open his opponent's faces. From the years and years of extensive scarring on his forehead, it was easy to tell that this tactic must have backfired from time to time on him. When that happened, he would have to fall back on plan B. Oh my... 
My mother shrieked when she saw it. What in the hell is that? My brother John gasped. The girls covered their faces. My eyes almost bugged out of my head that Saturday morning. I remember walking away from the table in my nice bowl of cereal after seeing the sheik throw his trademark fireball right into his opponent's face. For this match, Sheik was wrestling some Indian dude, and the guy just dropped like he was melting. Ever seen that before, the commentator belted? Yes, this always ends badly. I'm sure the Sheik has burned his face severely. After igniting a piece of paper soaked in lighter fluid with a cigarette lighter that was hidden in his trunks, the Sheik clinched his opponent back into the camel clutch. This time it was successful. Fans everywhere in Michigan were cursing up a storm, but I sat there, mesmerized in front of the TV. An impressionable young kid. The smaller guy pulled it off. Well, all week long, all I could do was think about that match. The kids around my block saw it too. The other kids at school would say he was the devil and that he was a motherfucker. And I didn't understand why. I mean, I knew he cheated, but I thought it was just fighting hard. Yeah, he stabbed someone with a pencil and burned someone, but he was surviving, right? The next week was the rematch. All we did was gather around the living room to see what was going to happen next. Since it was a small room, we had big-time wrestling running on both of our televisions, one in a bedroom and one downstairs. I was so young that I didn't even quite understand what was going on. I didn't want to miss anything. So I was running upstairs and downstairs throughout the entire match thinking that I might see something different, like maybe there were two separate matches being played at the same time. I was so young. I didn't understand how TV worked. When Sheik was winning in the living room, I would run upstairs to see how he was doing in the other match. Terry, my mother would laugh. It's the same thing. Just then there was another fireball. My whole family jerked away from the screen at the same time and swallowed. This time, it wasn't the same. The referee saw it, and then the sheik was disqualified. When I came downstairs, my brothers and sisters were elated that the bad guy lost and justice was finally served. They were clapping their hands and cheering along with everyone else in the city. Everyone except one. A five-year-old boy who had walked into the room crying. Me. He lost. Maybe he didn't want to win that day, but the sheik had damn sure well did everything he could. He won my attention. My mother and father got divorced when I was three. From early on, that's all I can remember, I always thought that my new stepfather was a dick. I didn't like him. Following my brothers and sisters' leads, we didn't much listen to him when he was around. If one of us were picking fights in school or getting bad grades, it didn't matter if we heard anything about it from him, or even my mother for that matter. She was so tired from working to support all of us that she would just give in really easy. The only real day I would ever have to worry about was one during the week, and sometimes on Sundays. That was my real day of getting disciplined. If we visited my uncle, he would ask my mom what we were up to. As far as weekdays with my family were concerned, I'll have to admit that was chaos. With three brothers and three sisters, all older than me, growing up in the same house, it definitely felt like a food chain, and I was definitely on the bottom. Now, don't get me wrong, they loved me, 
At a very young age, my sisters taught me how to read, write, and tell time before I even went to kindergarten. I remember showing the teacher that I could tie my shoes, and I got all the praise for that trick. When I was still a little kid, though, they thought I was a genius. However, when I was old enough to run in those shoes that I was able to tie myself, I often found I had a reason to run. So, I ran pretty often. I didn't play wrestle with my brothers like some other kids did. They literally would get me beat up. I mean, I wasn't abused when I did, but everything you could imagine from a family who has loose ties to wrestling. My siblings would pull my hair, punch me, bite me. They really, really thought they were toughening me up. The sad part is I didn't even really like wrestling. So wasn't wasn't that kind of odd? I mean, I don't know. Like, could you really blame my uncle for what they saw on TV? The Sheik doing some stumble bum stuff on TV. They only cared that he was famous, not that he was a wrestler. I was the one who really got the idea for the sport. I have to admit, from the first time, I had an idea. After watching some wrestling, I would get excited because I just didn't want to watch wrestling. I studied it. I could picture being a wrestler in my future, so I really wanted to learn all the moves. I watched how wrestlers fell to the mat. I watched how they'd lock up. I took notes on how a wrestler would break a particular hold. Quite often, it was the only natural thing that I would try sometimes. All the different moves. I would sometimes try them out on my brothers and sisters. I was only trying to emulate something, something new I hadn't seen before, but I wasn't really smart about it. It always ended up the same way. I would get my ass handed to me. They weren't sympathetic at all. Even when I wasn't the instigator, they all beat me up good for 15 years straight. The girls may be a little bit less than the boys because they wouldn't always catch me. My sisters I could outrun, which would often save me from a whipping, but from my brothers, I just couldn't. They were just too quick. One of my brothers, John, was one year older than I was. The other, Chris, was two years my senior. In the unfair yet traditional ways of bullying, they always double-teamed me, the smaller guy, and they won. Around that time, I started wrestling in junior high. I started thinking about the days that I could make them stop. I didn't know at the time, but that day was a long way out. The brotherly beatings would continue until middle of high school. Now this is likely going to throw some people for a loop. A bunch of you probably bought this book thinking that you would read how big and tough Sabu was growing up, and yeah, there was some time for that. Some still call me the hardcore legend because of how much of my blood they would see in my matches. When I announced that I would be writing the story of my life, a lot of fans immediately expected that I'd be talking about blood, sweat, tears that went into becoming who I am today. However, I bet you don't think that you'd be reading about my urine. I peed my bed until I was about 13. I'm not shitting you, nor was I shitting my bed, but I sure in hell did piss in it. Man, Einstein... Hemingway, Thomas Edison, many innovative and genius minds wet their bed as children, so at least I was in good company. Bedwetting isn't caused by drinking too much water before bedtime. It's not because the child is too lazy to get out of bed to go to the bathroom. 
and most children do not wet the bed on purpose, looking for attention or out of spite to irritate their parents. For me, I didn't know why I did it. I really didn't want to. Waking up every morning to potentially embarrassing scene was not my way of starting the day outright. Oh, please God, I hope it didn't happen again. I was 11, maybe 12. I remember waking up thinking all was okay. I reached down. My crotch was dry. I moved my hand around the coldness of the sheets. I had a moment of relief. It seemed like everything was clean and that I was good. Then I rolled over a little and gave the sheets one more ceremonial pat down just to make sure. Please no. I put my hand right down on the wet spot. I shook my head in disgust for myself. Also, the next part of what had to happen, if I didn't want to get paint on my back as a target, I'd have to change. It's weird. At this point, I was already regularly irregular. My brain became trained enough to wake up somewhat early to see if I had wet the bed, but it couldn't seem to keep me from doing it in the first place. Usually when I woke up early, it was because I was already too late. When I found out what I had done again, I had an accident. I got up as always, trying my hardest to not make a sound. I shared a room with my brothers, and of course wanted to give them absolutely no reason to mess with me. I closed my eyes. I slowly lowered my right leg off the bed until my toes touched the floor. Then, I slid my body off the mattress as softly as I could to avoid a telling creak from the box springs. Once I was on solid ground, I raised my back and opened my eyes to see if the coast was clear. Thank God, they're still asleep. I silently fiddled around with the bedding. Once I was able to remove the affected sheets, I dropped them into the floor in a crumpled pile. Then to cover my tracks and escape from the crime scene with the evidence, I smoothed out the comforter behind me so nobody could tell that the sheets were missing. Then I snuck down to the basement, the quietest I could, to try and clean my clothes and sheets. I actually got pretty good at doing this laundry at such a young age. Finally, I overcame this. Now, I only piss the bed when I have too much vodka. Back in the day, we used to play in these big local football games for 7th graders called Pop Warner. These games were a little different than you might expect from a bunch of middle school kids. They weren't just games. They became an outlet to settle all kinds of neighborhood rivalry stuff. Then it got so bad that the games weren't resolving our issues, but they were causing new ones. Many of the games ended up in big brawls. We took those games personally. If one of my crew walked through the Dominican neighborhood during the week, they knew that they were going to get jumped, and vice versa. The problem was I had to walk through it every day just to get to school. My strategy seemed to work for the most part. When I had to walk through it, I ran as fast as I could by. By the time any of them saw me, I was usually gone. It was too late. My survival strategy worked, then only caught me once. One morning, I had just crossed what we call the Magic Bridge on our side. Everyone was white or Mexican, but the moment you crossed it, everyone was Dominican. I was just starting to pick up steam, and then I saw this speed bump approach me from the front, then another one, then another it looked like a scene out of the movie The Warriors. A bunch of them just started popping out from everywhere, right in front of me. And as I crossed the indivisible border of the two territories, they had to have been waiting for me, like they figured out what my routine was. 
I had barely even worked up any speed yet, and there he was. I was looking at the very same Dominican who had beat the shit out of me the week before in the game. Yo, man, he said tall. He was a tall and skinny kid with bad teeth, even worse breath. He bent down and got into my face, and it reeked like rotten eggs and wet garbage. Where you going in such a hurry, he said. Ain't you one of those players? Oh, man, he's even uglier than I thought. I didn't answer. I turned around and looked for an escape route. A few more of their team members had crept up from behind me. I was surrounded. My heart pounded inside my chest. I swallowed hard. There was no way out. Yo, you think it's funny to trip one of us in that game? You're wrong, man, I said. That wasn't me. Oh, but I think it was, he said, with another blast. This time it smelled like hot, gross salad. Subway stink that comes up from the grates in the city. I honestly didn't know what he was talking about, but I wasn't going to argue with him. His circle of thugs started to tighten. I kept my eyes as close as I could, but I knew what I was dealing with. I turned my shoulders a little, and guess I was dealing with at least seven guys at this point, maybe eight. You know what really sucks? (laughs) Your breath? They didn't like my joke. They also didn't like our team, and I knew I was going to be made an example of. Immediately, they ganged up on me. I felt the bony knuckles at first in my face. I saw purple stars. I dropped, but jumped right back up swinging. I hit the big guy as hard as I could, trying to break his nose. Before I could tell if I was successful, my legs gave out for me, a sharp kick in my back. Then all eight guys started to stomp a mud hole in me. Across the street, someone watched as eight angry Dominicans were beating the living shit out of me. Before they could really do any damage, a new body entered the circle. Now every morning on my way to school, I would pass this one porch just before the magic bridge. Quite often, I would see this karate guy there doing his morning stretches. I loved kung fu movies, so I would always give him a nod, picturing that he was about to start some crazy training like I would see on TV with all these high kicks and breaking boards. He would always nod back at me. Maybe it was the nodding, or maybe it was just that he didn't like the odds. Either way, he jumped in to break the mess up. Oh my gosh. The circle opened, and everyone backed off for a second. I got to my knees and tried to position myself back-to-back with the guy. You know, the way you see in movies. We could fight them off together. But that didn't matter, honestly. We were only about 13, and he was probably 30. He started spinning and doing all these kicks. The dumbasses didn't take heed to his warnings, and they charged him. Boy, was that a mistake. It seemed like that's all he needed to do was one kick, and they flew like 10 feet in the air like a rag doll before hitting the ground and then running off. After he nailed the last one, the whole pack went running down the street crying to their mommies with their tails tucked between their legs. Thanks, man, I said as he helped me back off the ground. Can I offer you some advice, he said. Sure, I said, checking for my fat lip. He said, take your shoes off when you're running. You can run faster than all of them. Mimi looked Asian, but I honestly didn't know where he was from. I told the rest of my boys how he beat up those other eight guys, and he quickly became known as our neighborhood Bruce Lee. For the next few months, he showed me and some of our other teammates some really cool kicks and punches. 
My mother didn't want me to talk to him, but I still did on the sly. He helped show me some moves, and they really worked when we were in a jam. I would still see him practicing, stretching on his porch most mornings. As I approached the magic bridge, I would nod. He would nod back. Sometimes, as a show of respect, I would even take my shoes off on his steps to start my run through the danger zone. He smiled as I took off. When junior high school rolled around, there was no hesitation. I immediately enrolled in wrestling. I wrestled for five years straight, from junior high school right into high school. I wasn't exactly doing it to learn how to protect myself, though that was a bonus. It certainly didn't hurt. I was rather training in hopes to prepare myself to maybe one day be good enough to be a pro wrestler, like the other father figure I really had, my uncle. Eventually, the hard work had started to pay off. I was beginning to get into shape. It was then that I began thinking that standing up to my older brothers could eventually be a possibility. When wrestling had ended, I started playing baseball and football. I monitored my progress as I was getting a little stronger and a little faster with each season because of the training that went along with it. At school, there was only a couple of spats on the field, but nothing like the Dominions were at the Pop Warner games. You know, started to feel better. Anyway, I started to get moves from Mimi from wrestling. I handed my, handled myself much better than I did in those early fights, seeing my odds increase little by little that I could soon maybe stand up to my brothers and possibly now win. Whatever sport it was, whatever season it was, didn't matter. I decided to play in it. The day finally came when I felt I was confident enough to show my brothers I wasn't going to take any of their nonsense anymore. When the opportunity came, I took full advantage of it. They started in on me one day over something so silly I can't even remember what it was. Then they all came after me. But all those pent-up years of losing each fight rushed into me and hit me like a brick wall. I decided to hit back. I'd been waiting for this day. I had that moment circled on my calendar. I let John think I was the same shy, weak kid I always was. So when he pulled me into a headlock, that last time, I broke the hold. I almost broke his nose. Wham! Finally, I let him have it. I almost knocked John out cold. And then Chris came running over for the save. Maybe he realized that his advantage was slipping. And he couldn't have his kid brother to push around anymore. Maybe he just, for whatever reason, felt himself. I don't know. Just maybe that his other brother was a fair opponent. That I could do the same thing to him that I did to Chris. That was it. After that, they never touched me again. They saw that my body and skills had finally caught up with all the years of studying wrestling. That combination worked out for me. It was an epic coming-of-age moment, like one of those 80s cheesy teen movies. But it was real. The days of being a punching bag and pushover were over. They learned the hard way that I'd achieved the ability to beat them up at the same time. I was no longer a kid. My new confidence was both good and bad. While I was still looked at as being the shy, quiet guy, I started being one of those who actually was picking fights in school. Soon I learned that I was pretty good at fighting. After realizing that I could get away with much more bad stuff, I started hanging around with more bad kids, and we really started to push the limits of what we could do. 
They say birds of a feather flock together, and they are right. I started out with an eagle eye for a group of kids who liked to steal. I became the lookout for my sorts. I was a wingman for the thieves. My buddies would try to steal something, and I would act as a distraction. I would go up to the clerk and ask for some stupid thing or ask some stupid question or whatever. They'd be looking at me, maybe trying to help find a product. They wouldn't be looking at the other people in the background who were clearly robbing them blind. In no time at all, my buddies were flying out of there free and clear, walking right out the door. It was just like Jane's addiction. Once I saw how easy it was, I wanted in. Baby steps. The first thing I stole was a fucking candy bar. Even though you might think it could be difficult to swipe something so close to the register, that stuff was easy. You could, in time, just hit it right there. When the cashier was ringing something else up, they never saw what hit them. Stealing has been around for forever. At this point in time, however, retailers didn't have the technology that they have today. Cameras were far and few between. There was even no security guard or security tags. They hadn't been invented yet. All the other stuff was, well, it was created. You know what? They ended up creating this stuff for asshole little punks like us who came along. Come to the very late 70s and early 80s, it was the first big wave of electronic games. There was a number of handheld games before the home arcade system came out. Before that, we had to go to the arcade to get our fix. We would go play pinball, Pac-Man, Donkey Kong. This cool Star Wars game that I liked where you would blow up the Death Star, but the things that you had to do to free these machines from the quarters, I didn't have. I made a little bit of money back then, just in a few hours at the arcade, and I was completely broke. There wasn't a whole lot that I could do. There was no money left. Since we rode our bikes everywhere back then, I was a paper boy of some kind. I was able to make some money. My mom also got a job where she worked at a restaurant called Rocky's Teakwood that my cousin owned. They both sold Lebanese and American food. I worked there from age 7 to probably around 18, doing any damn thing they needed. I washed the floors. I scrubbed the dishes. Eventually, they even made me head chef for years. Man, my mom was slowly teaching me how to cook, and I can still make pretty good Lebanese food to this very day. Well, soon enough, the big thing came, stealing the new electronic games from the mall, so I didn't have to pay any more quarters. Ironically, the first one I stole was a handheld electronic football game from Gecko called Mr. Quarterback. The floodgates lifted. Stealing immediately became an obsession. I started taking things just to see if I could get away with it, much like my future wrestling obsession. With this pastime came an adrenaline surge. It was really hard to describe. I started stealing just to quench those feelings of excitement and curiosity all the time. I would get that feeling, and then I would have the item as my reward for the heist. At first, I never got caught red-handed because I was super careful about doing it when nobody would see me. The handheld games were easy. I would just lift up my shirt and push it down into the crotch of my pants. They were small enough so it wasn't tough to conceal my prizes. However, like any other addiction, you push it more and more. The snowball grew. After the handheld games, I moved into the home systems, the boxes like the Ataris and the console visions. The home arcade consoles came in, but they were huge. It was like trying to smuggle a VCR in my jacket, but I did it. The risk of getting caught started to 
go up. As a kid, you don't think much. I never really connected with a whole lot of people back then. So I didn't have any of those moments where I had an angle or I had something I had to do. It's not like I had an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other arguing whether I should or shouldn't do something. I never thought much about how the owner would feel or what I did to them. Is this morally wrong, I would say to myself? I knew it was bad, but that didn't mean anything to me if I didn't get caught. It was almost like a game that I would compete in with my friends. I remember this one time me and my friends wanted to steal this new updated Atari 5200 Super System. The box it came in was humongous. I knew I was going to have to be very inventive to come up with a ways to get this out of the store without paying. My boys couldn't even believe what I did. I took a deep breath. Then I just walked in the store, I put the box into the cart, and then wheeled it right out the door. I had some lame alibi in my head that I was sure that didn't make any sense, but I didn't need to use it. My theory at the time was that I was right. I was hiding in open sight, and then I would go outside and run as far away as I could from that mall. My three friends all high-fived me. See? I told them. If it looks like what you're doing is right, nobody's going to question you. Since it didn't, I didn't act scared, they probably thought that I had already paid for it or something. But after that, we started doing all kinds of brazen shit. We would walk behind a counter and take a few watches from underneath the glass. We would leave our crappy old sneakers in a box and walk out wearing new ones. It was often a competition between my friends to see who could take the most. And sometimes, I just shoplifted all day. Alone. On autopilot. For a short period of time, we did it every day, maybe sometimes 20 or 30 times. We would just move from shop to shop, taking stuff as we needed. What stuff we didn't, we would go ahead and just do it for the thrill to see if we could get away. As long as I could leave with something, all was good. It didn't really matter what it was. The more I got, the better the high was. I didn't have it, but sometimes I did. I'd had a hundred times before and then I finally got caught stealing a stupid t-shirt. They called my mom, and she came down to the security office in the department store to get me. Since they let me go on a warning, I didn't skip a beat. I was back to stealing again. No, I'm not proud. I knew it was wrong, and I actually felt bad that I had upset my mother for letting her down. But I didn't feel bad enough to stop, though. I got caught probably five more times after that. It was always the same thing. I wasn't even 16 yet, so they couldn't really do a whole lot with me. They would call my mother, and then ultimately they would give me a slap on the wrist. My mother would yell at me all week. Then she would bring me to my uncle, who would yell at me all weekend. It didn't even seem to matter, though. I kept at it. One day I was walking down the street, and I knew I was going to steal. I had a special gym bag with me that I used for stealing. I was almost all the way out of the mall when all of a sudden I was getting pulled over. I wasn't even driving. You're Terry, right? I kept walking, looking at the grass and some garbage that was on the side of the road by my feet. Look, man, this is about your mom, he said, leaning over, shouting out of the passenger window. My mom? I asked, stopping in the tracks. Is she okay? We don't know exactly what is happening, he said. She's not at home. There's a problem. Can you get in? Okay, I said. Reluctantly, I climbed into the back seat of the squad car. The police officer was vague enough 
that he didn't lie, but he made it seem like she was missing or something. Even though I had a little bit of doubt, I really didn't think about the spotlight being on me. After all, I'd willingly gotten to the back seat. He didn't push me in. When we got down to the station, my mother was right there waiting. It was some kind of intervention. They blamed me for breaking into a fireworks store. I was pissed. I mean, I had done it, but they had the dates all wrong and the times and everything, so, so technically that didn't count. Because they couldn't really get me for the fireworks store, they brought up six other times that I had been caught. They decided that I needed to have a real punishment. I was going to go do something else. They looked at me because I wasn't quite old enough for jail. They offered to put me in the slammer for four days and actually sleep there with my mother's permission. She agreed. It was still daylight when I watched my mother shake her head and leave, going through the arrest procedure in a police station, one of the most demoralizing things that can ever happen to you. They took a mugshot. They took off my belt. They took off my shoelaces. They took my stuff and put it into a large plastic bag. I was pushed into the back of a police van, and the doors banged shut. After the walk of shame, I sat down behind a very, very heavy locked door. There was an ugly toilet with no seat on it and a hard bench hanging from the wall opposite a creaky cot. As afternoon became night, three, I had never felt so lonely in my life. After an eternity of being behind those bars, my mother finally came. She hugged me. I could tell she had been crying. That's when the full enormity of everything that I had done really hit me. I needed a change. The next day, one of my buddies called me on the phone. He told me that he was going to steal a car. I don't know if my mom heard the conversation, but soon after that is when she came up with the idea to watch some videos. So I watched it. The show called Scared Straight because my mom asked me to. It was a recent revival of the show, but I saw the original one. There was just even more horrific than I remembered. Now, my stay-at-home jail was just boring as hell, but this show had all kinds of interactions with terrible inmates, more than I would ever wanted. I watched as a group of troubled kids screamed, and then they got screamed at. It was the scariest, nastiest prisoners I had ever seen in my life. The tape was all that I needed. I retired on the spot. I severed all ties with my crime family. A few days later, I got the word that the guy I was supposed to steal that car with got caught. He had been in and out of jail ever since. After that, I started hanging drywall to make an extra buck here and there. Hanging drywall absolutely sucks. I hated it, but I liked making honest money. The hours were long, the work was hard, but at least I wasn't in jail. I had learned my lesson. So that's going to be chapter one. Um, Very interesting things happening in this chapter. Obviously, we find out that, you know, no father figure... The only father figure he really had was his uncle on the weekends. Uh, He got more confident with himself after he started hanging out with an older gentleman who was teaching him more of martial arts. He was able to stand up to his brothers, and then he started picking his own fights. I feel like in a lot of ways, when you get picked on for so long, you you decide that you don't want to have that and that you want to kind of get some of that out of your system. But I think he would even agree to this day. Things went a little too far. All right, guys, this was really fun. Coming up on the next episode, we're going to be going into Chapter 2, and it's entitled The Sheik. So it looks like we're going to be finding out more about the relationship between Sabu and his uncle, The Sheik.
If you guys would do us a favor, we'd appreciate it. Go ahead to our YouTube channel. Go ahead and like and subscribe. We'd appreciate that. Also, go on over to our Twitch page um, and go ahead and like that as well. Please tell anybody that you know who loves professional wrestling to go ahead and like it as well and follow us. We would love to continue to grow our audience. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. My name is Mike Friedland, and we will catch you next week on Overbooked. The rule.